If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do? Well, welcome. I don't feel qualified to be doing this, but there is content that I wish were out there. And so I am going to put my thoughts out there and see if I can create it. And what I really like to do is uh, to get into some good faith conversations and just practice curiosity. Maya Angelou quote figures prominently in the narrative of Braving the Wilderness, and it comes from an interview she did with Bill Moyers. And I was wondering if you could read it today for us on the show. Yes. So she says, you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. Now, this is a line that actually really bugged you for a long time. I know you spoke to Steve about it at length. Yeah. This thing was like a craw in your side. Oh, it was. Okay, guys, trust me, there is a point to this. (laughs) It was totally stuck in my craw. I was like, what does that mean? You're only free when you belong nowhere and everywhere. I'm calling bullshit on that. Like, that cannot be true. Like as someone who craved belonging, I'm like, there's no freedom in not belonging. Like that's been, that's been like a straitjacket, not freedom for me. So there was this moment where I was sitting with Steve just a couple of years ago and I was going through a big stack of speaking requests. And one of them said, please come speak at our church. We really love you. There'll be 3000 people in the audience. It'll be amazing. We know you're folksy and down home. The only thing we ask is that you not cuss. It'll offend the faithful. And I was like, I won't say what I said to that, but that would actually offend possibly the faithful. <laughs> um, but I was like, what? Like, I'm the faithful. Like, who? Like, and then in the same stack, like two requests deeper in the stack, it said Fortune 100 company. Because I do like 90% of my work around leadership and cultural development. And people don't know that. But that's where I spend most of my time. And they're like, super excited to have you come in and talk to the leadership team about your work. We saw you speak at this retreat. We love what you're saying about vulnerability and innovation and art and creativity. It's super important for our business right now. You did mention that your two values that, you know, lead you or faith and courage. And we're wondering if you could omit the faith part and just talk about the courage part. (laughs) Because in the corporate setting, we don't talk about faith. And I was like, no. And I look at Steve and I'm like, I still, you know, I can't like 40, it's probably 49 at the time, 49. I still belong nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not the church speaker, completely not the church speaker. I'm not the leadership speaker because I talk about feelings and faith and things that are important to us. I I, I don't belong anywhere. And he's like, yeah, but I, everywhere you speak, you're like the top rated speaker. Like, what is that? What's, you know, like you belong anywhere that you go as long as you're yourself. I'm like, maybe. I mean, I guess, I guess I belong everywhere. I belong, I belong everywhere. I belong nowhere. Holy shit, the Maya Angelou quote. I was like, oh my God. So I grabbed my laptop. I, I, I searched it, read it to him. And he's like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it wouldn't make sense, but I think that's true of you. Then I Googled the interview with Bill Moyers, because I'd never seen the whole thing, just that clip. And so the next question he asks after she says this is, he says, so really, you don't belong anywhere? And she pauses for a second and says, no, actually, I belong to Maya. And I like Maya very much. And I was like, I want to I belong to Brene. Okay. So I feel that a lot. Um, I have... Um, I spent my last three years in church not feeling like I belonged there. Um, 
It was such an interesting concept to not belong anywhere, belong everywhere. Um, you know, like a lot of people that leave their childhood faith, they leave it reluctantly. I left, I left it reluctantly. And I really wanted to, I wanted it to be everything it claimed to be. And I wanted to belong, but I felt like I didn't belong because I could no longer say that I believed basic teachings, the ones that made it unique to, you know, made it different from all the other religions. And like I could think of temple interview questions in a way that was metaphorical. And I felt like I would be believing in a metaphorical way, despite what I'd been taught at church, not because of what I was taught at church. So it just felt like fitting into me. And so, um, you know, my husband and I made the move and we walked away from the church. And after spending some time online in the ex-Mormon world, it didn't take long before I realized that ex-Mormon was almost synonymous with religion bashing and supporting left-leaning politics. And at this point, I'm not really trying to say, you know, that left-leaning stuff is wrong. It's just that I lean right. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't even know what that means. Let's just say there are a lot of things I read in the ex-Mormon Reddit space that were stated like fact and that were politically left-leaning talking points that I didn't agree with. So it felt very similar to me, like when I go to church and I would hear things stated as a fact that I didn't agree with. That's kind of how ex-Mormon Reddit felt. And so, um, also on the ex-Mormon online world, um, I heard a lot of things that would be in line with like new atheist um, kind of thinking and that was stated as fact, and that didn't resonate with me either. Again, I'm not trying to say they're wrong and I'm right or anything. It's just I didn't agree with it. And kind of like Brene Brown was saying, she wanted to be Brene and I wanted to be me. And, you know, I, I was open to having my mind convinced otherwise, but at that moment, that's not what I thought. And so I didn't, I don't know. I didn't feel like I could exactly be myself, um, in a lot of those spaces. And, um, I don't know. I have a lot of friends with these views and I don't have a problem with that. I think you should have lots of friends with different views, but it wasn't feeling like I belonged very well. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there were comments from time to time that would pop up on Reddit and it would go against the current of popular belief, but they were largely ignored and dismissed. And it's been some time, but I'm actually starting to see what Bernie's saying. And I have learned that not belonging anywhere can be really magical because you can't belong anywhere. And um, I guess the way I found this is how accepting people are when you, they know you don't agree and they still accept you. And I've had that happen everywhere. And, um, there's just, there's really good people with all kinds of beliefs and it's been, it's been really cool to meet those people and be their friends. And, um, you know, Brene Brown, like she gives some advice to move in and people are hard to hate close up. And I find that to be very, very true. Um, so I have had political shifts. Um, I would say, uh, at one point in my life, I was, extremely um, conservative where they were right and everyone else was wrong. And I don't, and I don't think that anymore. I um, still find that my gut reaction is still favorable to light reading, light, right leaning, like libertarian 
policies and talking points, but I fully understand that I don't know what I don't know. And I think the balance of pointing out um, blind spots with people that you disagree with is actually the healthiest kind of society. Uh, Jonathan Haidt does an amazing job demonstrating this idea in his book, The Righteous Mind. So if you haven't read that and you've heard it, I recommend it. Um, Here's a quote from that book. He said, we should not expect individuals to produce good, open-minded, truth-seeking reasoning, particularly when self-interest or reputational concerns are in play. But if you put individuals together in the right way, such that some individuals can use their reasoning powers to dis, um, disconfirm the claims of others, and all individuals feel some common bond or shared fate that allows them to interact civilly, you can create a group that ends up producing good reasoning as an emergent property of the social system. This is why it's so important to have intellectual and ideological diversity within any group or institution whose goal is to find truth. So um, if you don't have time to read the whole Jonathan Haidt book, um, he has a pretty short 18-minute TED Talk titled The Moral Roots of Liberals and Conservatives, and that can give you a taste of maybe um, a little bit of the book to see if it's worth your time to read it if you haven't already. Yeah, so I don't even know what to call myself as far as that world goes. I don't really like theists. I don't really like atheists. I feel like they both come with baggage that I don't agree with. Agnostic is close, but also, I don't like that one. Um, jokingly, I've jokingly, jokingly stated that as soon as all the theists agree, I'll probably agree with them too. <laughs> so anyway, basically, I'm just fine saying I believe in God. If that means believing that life is good and it's worth following my intuition toward being the best version of myself. Yes, that's what, if that is believing in God, then I believe in God. If God means that there's a personal God giving and withholding blessings based on obedience to commandments that one of the specific organized religions has said are God's commandments, then I think I can comfortably say, no, I don't think that's the case. Um, yeah, so it's funny because even as I say that, I can see how um, when you think there's a personal God who cares how you're living your life, um, and our decisions, to some degree, are better or worse based on those decisions. And we don't get to decide the consequences. And so, obviously, some choices are better than others. So I can see how that like, is metaphorically true in a way. And um, it could be metaphorically true in a pragmatic way or something. I don't know. Because, you know, maybe the traditions being passed down to us have kept us and sur- helped us survive up to this point. So there's some baggage there, but there's also a survival things there. So if we throw it all away, then we might die. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I guess a, a big problem comes when um, anyone tries to define which roles I should be obedient to. Um, like, is it my own personal revelation? Um, I haven't ran into any organization like organized religion that has the humility to admit that they don't actually know for certain what the rules are. And um, yeah, they, they all seem to have really solid goalposts and they don't seem to have very good foundations where those goalposts are staying still. <laughs> um, anyway, you can call me a nun. I think that label works quite well. I'm not officially part of any religion, but I find the human experience to have a spiritual element. Um, that spiritual element to me is defined, isn't defined super well, but I don't think that we're purely rational creatures and I feel like admitting that and trying to allow my intuition, some say in my goals and direction in life leads to a much more satisfying 
human experience. So uh, let me explain what I believe intuition can tell me about life. So I believe it can help me determine how I should act, but it isn't very good um, about being 100%. So I believe that, you know, it's kind of trial and error. And I also find it useful to consider ancient wisdom that has been passed down and when I'm trying to decide which actions to take. Um, I also try to be aware of self-deception that could be blinding me. Um, one of the best ways I think that I can do that is just um, rubbing shoulders with lots of different people with different ideas. And yeah, like I'm hoping to gain understanding of people that don't think like me and just fostering relationships with lots of different kinds of people. And I think that's one of the best ways to avoid self-deception and assuming my relationship with other people is good enough that they feel safe seeing what they actually think when they're around me. And I can do the same because having superficial um, relationships where you don't feel like you can say what you think and they will still be your friend. That doesn't really help you actually work through those ideas. Cause if you never feel safe enough to say what you actually think, then you never get to update that thought because they don't ever get to push back against you and fix it. So, um, but I, anyway, I think the ideas that Jonathan Hyde talks about, um, I think we can be blind or bad thinking if we're in echo chambers and, it sometimes takes an outsider point of view to shine a light on the bad thinking. So um, anyway, um, I think it's good to have genuine friendships with people with differing faiths and different political views and actually have those relationships be genuine enough where, yeah, both sides can show up with it, what they actually think. And it's not easy. It hasn't been lately, especially in the political world and stuff. They're super tribal. Um, like it seems like some, like, there's a lot of um, conservatives that just like are just really flippant about like, oh, well, if California destroys itself, I'll allow good riddance. And I've heard a lot of stuff on um, left-leaning stuff like, oh, they're going to kill themselves because they're not getting vaccinated. And they're just all going to die. Oh, well, like just, just this total dehumanization going on. And I don't know. It's scary. I don't like it. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I feel like people are a lot more like me on the other side than not. And so I can see myself in almost everybody I talk to. So wishing them dead is like wishing myself dead. <laughs> Anyways, um, I was just thinking about like, how do you gain those friendships with people that are different? And um, how do you foster a place where they can say what they think? And um, I really like Jordan Peterson's um, books. I read the, his books and he has a rule that he made or he, he stated, and it was assume the person you are listening to knows something you don't. And I've done this and people are really interesting. Um, like you can actually show up with genuine curiosity and I don't know. I really, I really find people fascinating. They have different life stories and um, they might, of course they know something I don't. It's not, they might, they, they probably do. Um, you know, I hear this, in the ex-Mormon world a lot where they say, oh, my LDS friends stop being my friends when I stop going to church. And I want to soften this idea a little bit. And first off, I am not trying to dismiss it. Like, I know that this is a real problem and I'm not trying in any way blame those that are feeling isolated or ostracized because honestly, I believe it's really brave to step separate yourself from what you know and to follow your intuition that something's not right. Like whether you're wrong or right about it, that is brave. And, um, I, so I'm not trying to 
tell anyone that they're doing something wrong and that's why they're being ostracized. I'm hopeful that if a person's desire is um, to maintain a friendship with a member, that it can be done. I really don't believe that the church teaches anyone to ostracize people just because they leave the church. I am not oblivious to certain quotes that do seem to foster this. And I will play a quick quote from Elder Christofferson to demonstrate um, one example. Yes, the cost of joining the Church of Jesus Christ can be very high. But the admonition to prefer Christ above all others even our closest family members, applies also to those who may have been born in the covenant. Many of us became members of the church without opposition, perhaps as children. The challenge we may confront is remaining loyal to the Savior and his church in the face of parents, in-laws, brothers or sisters, even children, whose conduct, beliefs, or choices make it impossible to support both him and them. It's not a question of love. We can and must love one another as Jesus loves us. As he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. But the Lord reminds us, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So although familial love continues, relationships may be interrupted. And according to the circumstances, even support or tolerance at times suspended for the sake of our higher love. And in reality, the best way to help those we love, the best way to love them, is to continue to put the Savior first. If we cast ourselves adrift from the Lord out of sympathy for loved ones who are suffering or distressed, then we lose the means by which we might have helped them. If- I'll stop it there. This becomes a a problem. I'm I'm not denying that this is a problem. Um, You know, I would just like to add If your church is coming between your relationship with you and God, then it's also time to pay attention. Um, Yeah, so I am am not um, excusing this. I'm not condoning this. I don't really think that's a great quote. Um, But I I think my assessment still is fairly true um, as far as being common practice to like disown anybody that leaves. Um, I think some would make the case that, oh yeah, they don't disown you if you play nice, but once you start, um, you know, criticizing the church, that's when they disown you. And that happens for sure. Um, I would like to chalk this up to a human problem and not know so much a church problem. So, I mean, imagine you were... <clears throat> Imagine you have a, a political group that you hang out with. I don't know what political groups might do. And someone left, and all they do is talk about how stupid that political group, political group, political group they used to be with. Um, like, I think obviously those people would be like, "What the crap? Like, stop bashing our our team." <laughs> so, anyways, um, I don't. Anyway, so um, um, yeah. Anyway, I. I it's hard to listen to, it's hard to listen to that. Um, I can certainly picture a member friend that studies this, this address from other Christofferson and they might feel prompted to interrupt my relationship with them because, you know, they get uncomfortable or something, or they feel like they, it's affecting their relationship with Christ or, you know, and I am doing my best to give them the benefit, um, 
the benefit of the doubt here. And um, one thing that I know I did when I left is I talked a lot about the problems. And as much as I want all members to know the problems, I think it's fair for members to also set boundaries. Um, yeah, so if, if a member has a, a loved one and they leave the church and like me, like all they want to do is talk about how terrible the church is, I think it's fair for that loved one to set boundaries and say, well, I, I can't hear all of this negative stuff all the time and I need a break. And, um, and I think over time, people get better at communicating across that faith divide. Um, I think it's sad when some people just don't talk about it at all anymore. Um, I, think it's, I think if there's something on your mind, you should feel like you should talk to someone that you have a good relationship with. And if it's something you really think, it should ruin your relationship. Um, anyways, I understand that. <laughs> I understand that if all the members of the church that someone knows doesn't want to hear it, and that feels like you don't have anyone to talk to. But there are some members that are aware of it, and I hope that people can find those members to talk to and vent. And, um, yeah, not every member can handle it, though. And I don't see a problem with them setting boundaries, just like, you know, I've learned I need to set boundaries when I'm not okay with, you know, certain things. And it's not necessarily a boundary that can ever be crossed. It's just something I need to put a pin in right now because it's just I'm either too angry and it's not going to be like a useful conversation. Like there's no point in yelling at somebody if I'm not ready to talk about it. Um, uh, I would also like to give some advice if anybody's on the believing side of this. I would just like to let you know that it's very likely that a family member or friend that you have that's left the church is wondering why you don't talk anymore. And I would not be afraid if I were you to just ask how they are doing and extend an olive branch and let them know that their friendship with you does not have to be based on them being an active member and you still want to be friends with them because that means a lot. And um, it, it seems obvious. It seems like that should be obvious, but it's just not to a lot of people that leave. So by just stating that like, Hey, just so you know, you're not, you're not being a member. It has nothing to do with our friendship. So I'm still willing to be your friend. It, it can go a long way, I think. Um, uh, yeah, another one. Um, yeah, I have some other counter ideas to, oh, my LDS friends stopped being my friends when I stopped going to church. So I feel like everyone's really busy. And many of the friends that I had at church were friends that I spent time with because I was spending time with them in our callings. And so it turns out when you are not spending time in the calling together anymore, the friendship fades. And that happened even just getting switched around in a calling or when you moved on from a ward. So I think it's probably the number one factor in why a lot of your church friends, like those friendships seems to fade. Um, And then the other thing is like when I was a member, I remember being really curious about why um, some people that I knew left and I thought it would be offensive to ask. So I never did. And I never came close to the subject. And I don't know, I just didn't feel like it was any of my business. So sometimes I wanted to reach out, but I didn't want to come across as fake. And I didn't want them to just think that I was just trying to get them to be active again. So I would just overthink it. And then I would end up not doing anything because I couldn't figure out a good way to approach them. So um, just like a real human element there that you just don't know, just don't know how to engage. Um, I think a lot, I think some members make assumptions too, that those that walk away don't, they just want to be left alone. And 
I mean, that's true in the sense that they don't want to be invited to church anymore, but it's not true as far as friendships go. They want to be your friend still. Um, I think for the most part, I mean, it depends on the person, right? But I think if I were to like say, you know, majority of cases, I think they, they still want those friendships. Um, so I think, I think one thing that's good to remember is like, uh, Brene Brown said this, like when we are looking for evidence that we don't belong, we will always find it. And so I try to do my best to not read in like mind read or future tell the worst intentions. Like I've found that if I give the benefit of the doubt, um, it's often reciprocated. So, um, another thing is like, don't be afraid if you've left the church to be the one that reaches out and asks someone to go out for lunch or to set up a play date. Um, you like, like make sure that you have no ulterior, um, ulterior motives, just like you don't want them to, um, like, don't feel like you need to tell them all the things just like you don't want them to bear their testimony to you. (laughs) So I just think that, um, you know, if you are the one that reaches out and make sure that they know that you may no longer be a member of the church, but that doesn't change how you feel about them, that can really be a way to open up a dialogue. And I've found that works really, really great. And I've said that to many people and, you know, our friendships are still intact. So, um, also I think, I think it's good to know, like when you're an active believing member, you are acting predictably and they know you're a known quantity. Um, and I feel like, like they knew what I believe. They knew what, I did every week on Sunday, you know, they knew that I was going to be there for certain activities. And when I made the move to leave the church, my actions changed and I'm no longer going to church. I suddenly become kind of an unknown thing to them. And so giving your friends some and family some time to see that you are still you and that you haven't really changed where it matters. Um, I think, um, I think that's good to remember just, I don't know. Cause it's just like, Whoa, what just happened? You know, it can be a really big surprise for them. Um, so giving just some time so that they can see that you're still, you know, a good person. <laughs> um, and my first interactions with members during my faith crisis were, um, really stiff and uncomfortable. And I don't think e- either party really knew what to do or say. So I think it's just good to remember that time helps. Um, some things I've learned is I don't need to prove to them I'm right and they don't need to prove that they are right. Um, not that we can't discuss things um, when we're both up for it, but it certainly doesn't need to be every time we talk. And I don't think that we need to be offended when they bring up church stuff because it's such a big part of their lives that they're talking about their calling and stuff. Um, I think we should try our best to not be triggered by that. Um, it's important to them. And so I think when we have friends and family, when something's important to them, we should also um, respect that, I guess. And I don't also, they don't need to be offended when I, you know, tell them I went to Lagoon on Sunday either, or show up in a sleeveless sundress or something <laughs> like they can be, you know, it, it takes time, but they'll get used to it. <laughs> um, I sometimes hear the sentiment that you don't need your family and friends when you leave the church that you can build up a new friends and they can become your family. And I understand that relationships can be toxic. Like there are some exceptions out there, but I would just like to point out how culty that sounds like 
family relationships are generally extremely beneficial. I mean, these are your blood. These are people that are like able to give you the benefit of the doubt, like no other group of people. And um, especially friends that you've had for a long time, you have a long history, you know? And so I don't think those are friendships that you should just casually let go. Not that you can't make good friends other places, but um, I don't know. In in my in the case of my friends and family um, that are members, they've been extremely open to maintaining relationships. And many of them are the same. And some of them are even better than before. Like we have deeper conversations than before because I the faith crisis kind of brought up different things. And so I think, I don't know, I feel like it's been a worthwhile effort for me. Um, there's ups and downs in different relationships for sure. But overall, I feel like I have really healthy relationships with my family. Um, I had a sibling come back from Costa Rica and bring back coffee for us. Like, they, like I don't know. It's just things get better, I guess. Um, one of my aha moments that I've had recently um, is that it's not my religion anymore. So this, but it is the religion of my friends and family. And, you know, I was, I was having a really hard time with my previous belief. And we have some mutual friends that just didn't understand why we'd be so disrespectful of a mutual friend of ours belief, basically. Um, no, no, it's just, that was one of the moments that I was like, oh man, that's true. So, I mean, here are some of our friends who are ex-Catholic actually, and they're able to be a lot nicer toward the LDS faith than we were. And they were our friends when we were LDS and they never made fun of us. And they never said, oh my gosh, how stupid it is that you believe this or whatever. Like they were always so polite. Um, and they were really good friends to us. And I don't know if they could have been good friends if on their spare time, they were watching jokes, making fun of Mormons. Like, I don't know. I think that's just something to think about. Like, I'm not sure that we're capable of living in both worlds like that. There's a time and a place, maybe some healing time or something like that. But I don't know. I guess I just be careful of staying in a really cynical place where you're deconstructing all of your friends and family's faith forever. <laughs> That's my opinion anyway. Um, I eventually started, um, eventually started to learn that I needed to support my family and friends and their belief if I wanted to be supported in my decision to leave. And, um, uh, I have an example. So I was having a conversation with a friend about goal setting and an elder Bednard talk popped into my head and I thought, well, this adds to the conversation, so I'm just going to use it. And, um, she was really confused at first because of my reference, because she knew where I was. And I explained to her that I really wanted to support her and her belief. And I was okay speaking her religious language. And it actually gave her a chance to ask me where I was at, um, because the topic hadn't come up for a long time and she was curious, but didn't know how to ask me. So it actually started a really cool conversation. So I don't know. I think, I think, um, the more that you're okay with your friends and family staying Mormon, I think the more okay they are okay with you leaving. Because I think a lot of the hardness in the relationships is the defensiveness. Like, they want to stay. And if they want to stay, we should let them stay. So, anyways, um, for time, it was 
hard to support my friends and family in their belief. Um, I didn't feel like they were choosing it. I felt like they were in the same machine that I was in and that if, you know, given the right circumstances, they were going to see what I could see. And I understand that there are a lot of those that feel this way. And I think it's valid. Um, I guess I just stopped believing in that. Uh, maybe I'm just too soft. I don't know, but I, it's really what I think. And so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I believe it's best to treat my friends and family like adults that know how to use the internet. And if they want to know the information, it is their responsibility to willingly face it. And I believe that it's my responsibility to support them where they are at. And um, when it really comes down to it, I'm not 100% sure that I am on the right path. Like, who knows? Maybe the active member path isn't missing the mark as much as I think it is. Um, and, you know, I blame uh, a Facebook group called the Restoration Table for my soft views. Um, <laughs> it is a group that tries to foster space where people in or out of the church can belong and engage with each other. And I realized that I felt like I started to realize that when you say, oh, this isn't your choice because you're just brainwashed, for example, that's like totally invalidating their decision to be a part of the church. And I feel like this idea is similar to when members say things like, oh, you're just de be being deceived by Satan or you're just trusting your own intellect over God. And I think it's important to represent people's ideas and reasonings in a way they would accept it. And I think it goes both ways. So like if I say, oh, you're just brainwashed, that's why you're part of the church and they're not accepting that. I don't think it's fair for me to like throw that at them. And if they say, Oh, you just are leaving because you're deceived by Satan. And I'm like, no, I'm not like they, they also, they should, I don't know. Like it's not a real argument if they're not accepting that that's the reason, you know? Um, anyways, so oh, I met a lot of good friends in the restoration table and I've noticed that it's just like um, it's, I, that concept of moving in. Um, Brene Brown gives steps um, in her book, Braving the Wilderness. She says, she says, number one, people are hard to hate close up, move in Two, speak truth to bullshit, be civil. So it's like, it's not that you can't say what you think. It's important to say what you think, but there's usually a civil way to do it. So you can try that. <laughs> um, three, hold hands with strangers. Four, strong back, soft front, wild heart. So I don't know. She has a lot of good quotes in that book. Um, one of my faith, like, oh, I was going to say, like, my, my faith crisis, like, was super traumatic. It was chaotic. I didn't know which way was up or which way was down. It's easily one of the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life. And I lost a part of my identity. Like, my whole purpose in life was to return to my Heavenly Father and the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ that, like, that was real. And the gospel was simple. All I had to do is improve myself little by little, you know, precept upon precept to become a little bit more like Christ every day. And I knew that like, um, like I couldn't have any of this without the restoration. And I knew that my family could be together forever through the power of the priesthood and like all these basic things like this was just, this is what I knew. This was solid. This was my foundation. And this was what was really important in my life in this life. Right. Um, Anyway, having this like really beautiful story crumble beneath me was not what I wanted and it is not what I hoped for. And it just happened. It happened to me. And I thought I knew the types of people that this happened to and they were not me. <laughs> like, I don't know how this happened to me. Still don't really fully understand that one. Um, but um, yeah, 
that's a church lesson 101. Trials make us stronger, stronger, right? Like I really believe that. <laughs> I feel like I'm a better person for going through this. I would not wish it on anyone, but I am grateful for surviving so far. And I take each step with, or I, I feel like I take each step with faith, just like the next person. And I'm not hundred percent confident that I'm heading the right direction, but I have faith that as I do my best and as I can find a stable path, it might, I don't know, it might be messy and that's okay, but that's better than being stuck. And I was stuck for a really long time um, while I was in church. I was stuck because I felt like I needed to know before I could take action. And um, I don't know, I'm willing to take messy action now. And I feel so much better that I'm actually moving in my life and I'm not stuck anymore. And I'm also willing to let those around me take some messy action too. Um, Yeah. So I think that wraps it up.